So we are in the final week of this series recalling how to know when you grow. And for those of us who are Christians, one thing that we've got to really understand is that growth is immensely important to our faith. Because one of the, the main pillars of Christianity is that Jesus did not just die to give us heaven. He died to break the chains of sin in our life so that we might actually be people who are worthy of heaven. He didn't just die to say, okay, you can come on into heaven. He died to actually fix what was wrong that kept us out of heaven in the first place, which is just an absolutely amazing idea. Because if heaven is a place that has no sin, if heaven is a place absolutely free of all evil, then at some point we're going to have to have the evil scrubbed out of us before we can go there, because evil has no place in eternity, at least the one we're hoping to go to. And so Jesus intended for there to be a progression from who we were before he showed up to who he wants us to be in heaven, and that progression starts now. We don't wait to get to heaven before he cleans us up. He actually wants to help get our lives straightened out and give us better, more God-honoring lives in the here and now. And so what I mean by that is that uh, if you have Jesus, he doesn't just offer you heaven. He doesn't just want you to have a better life. He wants to change the very nature of who you are as a person. But there is a really weird idea that I kind of want to talk about today that has infiltrated Christians and churches all over the place. This isn't just here. I think it is here, but I don't think it's just here. It is something that has been in the Christian world for a while. And it's this idea, and I'm going to try to explain it a couple different ways as we go to make it clear. It's this idea that I can give Jesus a little and keep some for me. It's that I can be a little bit committed to Jesus, but then I can really kind of still do life the way I want to do my life. That I don't have to give Jesus everything, but I can hold on to my life and live however I want to live. And uh, you know, I think back to when I started attending uh, what is now my home church. I was a junior in high school, and what I learned is that most of my friends went to that church and grew up in that church. So when I started going to my home church, I was kind of the, the outsider in my group of friends. Like I was like, so everybody goes to this church and nobody mentioned it to me. Good job on the evangelism, guys. Like, nice job. Like, I'm like the only one in our friend group almost who, who didn't come to this church and nobody told me about it. Thanks. Like, I don't know if that just says what they thought. Like, he is so rotten. He does not, we're not taking him to church. He'll embarrass us. I don't know what they thought, but they didn't. But so finally, I get to church and, and God starts working in my life and I get baptized my senior year. And as God kind of started like really, you know, becoming more of a part of the conversation, as he started working in my life and, and more powerfully in the lives of some of my friends, the conversation of Jesus, about Jesus and what he was doing in our lives, it moved from the church to just our conversations everywhere. So we were at school talking about church stuff and serving here and doing certain things. And there was another guy in our friend group who had no church experience, he'd never been to church as far as I knew, no Easter's, no Christmases, nothing like that. But here he is in a group of friends all talking about Jesus and talking about this church. And so he would start coming occasionally. And then one day, you know, we weren't really sure if it was getting through. We were trying not to push it too hard with him, you know, or be the, uh, make him feel weird since he really was kind of at that point the only one in our friend group who wasn't going to church there. Um, one day out of the blue, though, he just calls us on a Saturday and says, hey, I want to be baptized today. 
Okay, and that was before texting, and high school kids actually had to call one another when they wanted to do things, and so he called me and all of our couple of friends, and he says, I want to be baptized, and we said, well, we'll see what we can do about making that happen today, and so I called my youth minister, what do we do? Let's, he wants to get baptized, how do we do this, and so um, he says, well, we'll just do it then, and, and so we all showed up, there was five or six of us and our youth minister, and then he got baptized right there on the spot, on a Saturday, spur of the moment, and it was awesome. We thought, and then as far as I know, after that day, he has never stepped foot in a church building. And he's never done anything that even remotely resembles following Jesus. And, and you know, me and my friends kind of got to own that because apparently we didn't fully get the message across of who Jesus was and what he wants for us. But it, it breaks my heart that he, that it was almost as if my friend thought, you know, I want to get my ticket to heaven, okay? So I want to get that much of Jesus in my life. But when the, it comes to like actually changing or committing or, or putting my life in with letting Jesus like rework who I am on the inside, no, I'm not doing that. So I'll put one foot in with Jesus so I can get heaven, but my life and how I live it, I'm keeping that for myself. How I think and how I live, that's mine. Jesus gets the bare minimum it's going to take for me to get into heaven. And that's an extreme example, but it's not the only example like that I've heard of. In fact, when I moved to Loami, um, Andy Polly, who was youth minister at the time and had been filling in the gaps um, in like the year or so without a pastor, a senior pastor, Andy uh, was telling me about this family that had been coming for a while and they got baptized the week or two before I came. I have never once seen them here. They got baptized, they were into coming regularly, got their ticket to heaven. Maybe that's what they thought. I don't know what they thought. But they have never been here since I have been on staff at Loami Christian Church. And so that these kinds of things happen where people think, I'm going to give Jesus a little, but not everything. And they kind of end up straddling the line between new life in Christ and this old life that we want to live. This life that's fun. The life that does things that always felt good and seemed right. And, and there's a weird idea that says, I don't have to give Jesus everything. That I can kind of maintain my own direction and my own control over my own life. But I'm just not sure where that came from because it for sure is not in the Bible. And you can go to really extreme examples of this that I don't really have time to talk about. But I do want to talk about one reason why I think this idea that I don't have to go all in with Jesus. I want to talk about one reason why I think it is so common in the majority of churches. And so today... The thing we're going to look at here, the, th the, the, the how to know when you grow step is when you go all in with Jesus. When you stop holding back anything, when you stop holding on to control of certain parts of your life, certain parts of your personality, certain parts of whatever, when you stop holding stuff back from Jesus and you finally think, this is it, I'm 100% all in. And so here's the reason why I think most people, and I'll say, I think most of us on some level are holding something back from Jesus. Here's the main reason why I think that is. I don't know if when we became Christians, those of us in the room that are Christians, I don't know if when we became Christians, we really understood what it meant when someone said, give your life to Christ. You know, when I was told, I mean, and someone told me that, you've got to give your whole life to Jesus. All right, yeah, sure. I know, I, I know the pastors that I've had. I know how committed to the truth they are. I know somebody said that to me before I became a Christian. Okay? But I thought, give your life to Christ meant go to church, read the Bible, maybe pray every now and then, maybe help out if you're asked. It meant add some religious activities into your schedule. That's what I thought giving my life to Christ meant. 
I had no idea the extent that Jesus wanted to mess around in my life when I became a Christian. And am I alone there? I didn't know the extent that he wanted to challenge my heart, my beliefs. He wanted to do more than just add a few religious activities to my calendar. He wanted access to every part of my inner being, and he wanted to rearrange it and remake it for his cause. I did not know that that's what I was signing up for when I became a Christian. Even though people had told me, I did not understand what sacrifice and giving my life to Christ truly meant. And so consequently, when I became a Christian, my life didn't look a whole lot different. After Jesus Anthony, at first, didn't look a whole lot different than before Jesus Anthony. I still cussed the way, same way I did, and man, could I cuss with the best of them. I had a friend who would like make up new ways to cuss, and I thought it was hilarious. Like, it was just like, that was just who we were, you know, it was just, and that's how we talked. And I would not talk that way at church, of course, of course, you know, as long as I didn't talk that way at church, that was another one of the religious activities that I thought Jesus wanted, minding and behaving in church, that kind of stuff. But man, did I have a mouth on me. The fact that God has even allowed me to get up and use my mouth for good is still shocking to me after some of the things that have came out of this mouth. So my mouth was vile. I still looked at girls in many of the same lustful ways that I did before I was a Christian. I was still very disrespectful to my parents at times. In fact, I think I was more disrespectful to my parents in the few years after I became a Christian than I was in my entire life leading up to when I became a Christian. And so I read the Bible a little bit because that's what I was told to do. And I actually started listening to the sermons that were preached on Sunday morning. And I started to learn that how I was living wasn't okay. I started to learn that just giving Jesus some time in my calendar and doing, jumping through a few hoops like reading the Bible and maybe praying when things were bad and that kind of stuff, I actually learned Jesus wanted more for me than that. And he didn't just want to clean up my mouth and, and, and make me you know, look better. He wanted to get into my heart and start changing who I was from the inside. He didn't just want me to stop cursing. He wanted me to see the, the power behind my words, the power to hurt people, the power to harm. And he wanted to see me using my words more carefully, more responsibly, more purposefully. Jesus didn't just want to stop me from checking out girls you know, and giving them the once up and down. He actually wanted to change how I viewed women and saw them as not just something for me to ogle, but beloved children of God with value beyond their physical beauty, but as a person that God made with a purpose and a plan and someone who was my sister in Christ. He wanted to change my heart. He didn't just want to help me mind my tongue around my parents so that I wouldn't say rude things. He actually wanted to humble me so that I would see the value in their years and their experience beyond what I had at that point in my life. And he wanted me to appreciate the advice they gave me and see it as coming from a place of love. Huge difference between don't, don't mind, your, or mind your parents, don't be rude to your parents, and actually having your heart humbled to the point where you can appreciate the advice coming from them. Man, Jesus, he wanted to get around and fiddle with every area of my life, and I did not know that when I committed to becoming a Christian. And so I admit, in my early faith, I was holding back a lot. I was trying to straddle the line between Jesus, what Jesus wanted me to do and what I wanted to do. I didn't want to give everything to Jesus. Because honestly, the transition from who I was before Christ to who I was after Christ, there's been times that's hard. That's a hard transition because there's a lot of things in the old life that I loved that I thought were fun and that I was very, very drawn to. 
And the act of cutting all that off and going with Jesus was, it was tricky. And it's times, you know, I don't even feel like I've all the way cut ties with some of the things that I used to love and the things that aren't good for me in this life. But you know what? Jesus doesn't just want me to be somebody who straddles the line. He doesn't want me to be somebody who's half into this relationship that I've pledged with him. He wants everything. And I actually finally had somebody sit me down, very scarily sit me down and say, enough is enough. If you want to be a Christian, then be a Christian. If you don't, then don't. But it's time to decide. This standing in two places, this kind of split allegiance isn't helping you, and it's not doing anything for the people in your life. Pick a side. And from the moment I did that, everything changed for me. The moment I decided to go all in with Jesus, everything changed. My faith has exploded from that moment. And yours will too, if you would admit that maybe you're still holding back from Christ. If you would admit, there's parts of my life that I don't want him to mess with. There's parts of my personality I don't want him to mess with. You know what stinks? Being humbled. It is the worst. You know what's awesome? Pride, because it makes you feel like you're the smartest person in the room. Like you always know what's best. But humility is easily, easily the better way forward. But it is a tough transition from pride to humility. And what I have learned over my life, especially, is that somehow I've gotten dumber. Because when I was in high school and junior high, I knew everything, and now I feel like I know nothing. And I'm not sure how you look back in life, it's like, man, I used to, I wish I was still a teenager because I knew everything then, and I never doubted any of my decisions. I doubt every decision I make now. And so it's interesting how that transition makes, but it was, it's not always been a fun one. But when you make the chance, the, the, the change, the decision to finally go all in with Jesus and stop holding back anything at all, it'll change your life. Now, believe it or not, we're not the first Christians to mess this up because the church has been raging on for 2,000 years before we even showed up to the scene. And there have been plenty of Christians who have tried to straddle these two lines, tried to you know, do a little bit of Jesus, but still hold on to the majority of their life. And Jesus' half-brother James actually speaks to this problem. So it was a problem almost from the time the church got started. And so James, in our New Testaments, he writes a book that we very creatively call James, and he is writing to a, a, a bunch of groups of Jewish Christians that are kind of scattered all over the place. So if you want to get a Bible, we'll be in the book of James, chapter 4, and we'll start at the very beginning of chapter 4. Very beginning of chapter 4, it's on page 1012 if you want to use the Black Pew Bibles, or the verses will be on the screen. Now by the time we get to chapter 4, James has already written three chapters. And one of the things he's tried to start lining out for us were these two sides. These two sides that are um, following Jesus and doing what you want to do. Doing what Jesus has for you and just doing whatever you want to do. And so the, the way that James says, he says doing what is godly or doing what is worldly. But he starts talking to Christians who are trying to have their cake and eat it too. They're trying to straddle the line between faith and whatever I've always done. And my way is best. And so, as we dive in, he starts calling out how these Christians' lives, these Christians who are trying to straddle both lives, they were wearing the name Christian, but their lives did not look very Christian at all. So verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. So James, again, he's continuing this conversation, talking about these two sides. And what he's starting to point out here is how ludicrous it is to be in a part of a church where the only standard of behavior among all the Christians is, I'm going to do what I want to do. Because you know what's going to happen? Eventually, what I want to do and what you want to do aren't going to play nice together. Because what happens if, you know what, I, just want, I want your wife. I'm going to go sleep with your wife. Now, granted, I understand there's hurt, hurdles and, and consent that has to happen there if that were to take place. But still, that's what I want to do. Would you want me to do that? Probably not. There's going to be some pain and some fighting going on there. What if what I want to do is I want to shoot your dog because he's barking at 2 a.m. and I want to get some sleep? You want me to shoot your dog? Some of you would probably welcome it. I'm not, I'm not a gun for hire for dog killing, but I don't want to kill a dog. Uh, but, but let's just say that's what I wanted to do. Nobody in the room would be happy with me showing up and shooting their dog, right? So that's a problem. He's saying what you want to do doesn't always mesh. If everybody's just going off of what they want to do, we're going to fight. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to take from each other. There's going to be bickering and fighting in this place that is supposed to be a beacon of unity and peace in Christ. So that can't happen. That can't be the standard. It's silliness to think that we should still be holding on to what I want to do. There has to be some sort of a higher standard of behavior and direction in the church. And so he says, so if you're going to just do whatever you want to do, every relationship in the church family is going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. I mean, the church is already a mess anyway because we're a bunch of sinners trying to figure out life in Jesus. But if we're not being directed toward Jesus, man, is it ever going to be way more of a mess. And then he goes on to say, not only are these relationships going to be a mess, but the relationships between us and our Heavenly Father, that's going to be a mess too. He goes on in verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And he starts to point out that when you're straddling the line between faith and doing whatever you want to do, you're not going to pray very much. Why? Because you don't need to ask God's opinion. You have your own. You don't care what God says. You're going to go do whatever you want to do anyway. This is why I would guess if you are in this room and you are straddling the line, one of the best evidences that you are straddling the line is you barely ever pray until your life falls apart. You never pray. You never, you never ask God, God, what should I do today? God, help me to treat these people better. Because you don't care about any of that stuff. You're going to do what you want to do, and the only time you're going to pray is when you can't get something that you want. And so prayer for the half-committed, the half-in, it only takes the form of the Hail Mary pass when everything else has failed, when you have reached beyond your strength. And God says, you don't ask because you don't care to ask. And then he says, and when you do ask, you're not coming with the motivations of doing what's godly and what's right. You're just asking because you know what you want and you can't get it under your own power. I remember when I first became a Christian and I would drive to my home church on Sunday mornings because, again, Going to church, was, that, was the, that was my religious activity. It was a part of committing to Christ, you know. And so I'd go to church very regularly. And I can't tell you how many times I would pray the prayer. I can, I can visualize myself walking from the parking lot into the side door of church. And I would pray, you know, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll tie, this, I'll tie it to the church. God, if you would just let me win the lottery, I would give a full tithe, 10%, all of the way to my home church because, you know, God, there's all those other people winning the lottery, and I'll bet not a lot of them ever tithe to the church, but 
I would, God, because I'm committed, and I love you, and I'm better than they are. So if you could give me all those millions, I'll give millions to the church. Now, maybe that surprised you, but that was not prayed from a place of godly generosity. Because I wasn't concerned about giving the church millions of dollars, 10% of whatever millions of dollars. I was concerned with partying it up with that other 90% that I was going to get to hold on to. You see, that's the kind of thing you do when you're half committed. You pray prayers like that. You don't, th- there might have a spiritual covering over it, because I didn't just pray, I didn't pray, God, let me win the, let me win the lottery, because I thought, maybe that sounds a little selfish. God, let me win the lottery, and I'll give a little teeny sliver over to you. That sounded more godly and more acceptable to me. I didn't care, though, about what God was going to do. I didn't care about blessing the church. I didn't care about helping, pe- helping people, feeding the poor. No, my heart was about me and doing what I wanted to do with millions of of dollars. And he says, that's an indication. So your prayer life is an indication of whether or not you're straddling these two lines. And believe it or not, this idea of half committed, half in, kind of, sort of, given God the leftover time, attention, prayer, whatever, maybe this surprises you, but that's not what God wants from you. If you are a believer, you're saying something that says, I want to follow Jesus, you might not be surprised to hear that Jesus actually expects you to try to follow and, and God wants us to be all the way in on a relationship, not half in. And so when James ticks up here in verse 4, his language gets so strong and so borderline offensive because he's trying to shake us out of our apathy of standing between these two places. And so he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And see, that should make us pause because we're like, no, we're the Christians, we're the good people, we're God's friends. We want to have heaven and go and be with God forever and all that. But no, he says, there are Christians that are being enemies of God because they're not for God. They're actually living for themselves. He says, or do you suppose? It is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us. And of all the strong language, the two things I want to draw you to are, are the, the cheating language, the relational cheating. He calls us adulterous people, and he says, God is jealous for you. Because adultery, by its definition, because you read that and you might first think, well, I'm not cheating on my spouse. Okay, but adultery means at its core to be in two relationships at the same time. That's what we often try to do with our faith. I want a little Jesus, but a little bit of old me. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to commit to Jesus. I want to commit to me. You're trying to do two incompatible things at the same time. And God doesn't stand for that. God does not want half of you. He wants all of you. And that's why my youth minister, he's the one that sat me down and and told me, either you're a Christian or you're not. Make a choice. And I remember when he said, hey, it's time for us to talk. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I feel like I'm getting called to the principal's office. But as harsh as he was and as scary as that conversation was, I needed scary. I needed someone to kind of proverbially shake me loose from my apathy and show me truly, honestly, what God wanted for me. And he didn't want half in commitment. He didn't want me to stand in between. And what my youth minister did for me was he erased the middle ground. There wasn't standing half in and half out. He said, either you're a Christian or you're not. The middle doesn't exist. And that's what James is trying to tell us. It's that there is no in-between. Either you are all in or you're not. 
And that might be something that we have to kind of learn as we go on. Again, I didn't get it. And it's not that people didn't tell me. It's just that my heart wasn't ready, maybe. And I was trying to go all in with Jesus, but I just didn't quite get what commitment was. And so I'm here to tell you what my youth minister told me. Either you're in or you're out. You can't straddle the line anymore. Your behavior, your sense of right and wrong, your direction for your life, how you treat your kids, how you treat your grandkids, your spouse, your friends, how you treat strangers, either you give all of that behavior, morality, heart, mind, everything goes over into all for Jesus, or just stop. Because it's nothing. That in-between doesn't exist. God doesn't want half of you, a portion of you, part of you. He wants all of you. And I don't know why I was so scared to hold, that I wanted to hold on to something. Because it's, I felt like, well, if I give Jesus all, I'm going to lose stuff. And yes, there were things in my life that I said goodbye to. There were relationships that needed to end. There was behaviors that I had to cut out that were very ingrained in my normal way of living. There were things that were fun. I mean, just fun and pleasurable that had to go away, and I had to cut those out of my life. But let me tell you, going all in with Jesus, I have never felt like that life was anything but gain. And once my eyes were open, I could look back on all the things I'd given up and say, oh, gosh, why was I so concerned about those lesser things, those selfish things? God doesn't want half of you he wants all of you, and he wants all of you because that's when he can really bless your socks off and lead you to something better and help you to be the best version of you. Uh, Jude, there's a, so, a show that he likes on PBS. It's a PBS kids show, and it's one of my favorites because some kids shows are just the worst. Looking at you, Barney. And um, thankfully, he's hard to come across anymore. I had to go with Barney with my nieces and nephews, and oh gosh, I thought if I have kids and I have to go do Barney again, <laughs> I'd just rather go to heaven. And so, um, and so it's one of the kids' shows that's actually pretty good. It's called Odd Squad, Odd Squad. And um, they, there's a lot of things. The show's really weird. It's called Odd Squad. You know, they tell you up front it's odd. But in the show, there's a parody of a boy band, like an like a early 2000s boy band. And they, they go all out in this parody of this boy band. There's like... I don't know, five, six songs that have been written by this boy band. And so Jude has gotten to where he likes to sing these fake boy band songs. And so we'll look them up and download them onto my phone and we'll listen to them while we're driving. And one of them is a love song called Probably. And the words are, I will probably love you forever. I'll most likely be there by your side. Another one is, uh, nobody knows what love has in store, but we're 90%, so let's call it for sure. Like, and it goes on. It's like, but, like, nobody, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna swoon if you sing that song to them, right? Why? Because nobody wants 90%. Nobody wants half committed. Nobody wants, I'll probably be there by you. No, that's why most love songs are like, I'll be there forever and then some. Like, everything is more. And that, because when we, even in our relationships, even in our tiny, little, puny, imperfect human relationships, we understand 100%. That's what we require. Abby requires 100% of me. I want 100% of her. I don't want half a wife. I don't, want, I don't want to share her with anybody. That's what this relationship is. And though we understand that on our tiny human relationships, why would we think the perfect God of the universe would have a standard that is any less? 
He wants 100% from us as well. And so we can't go half in. We can't hang on to the old self because we're limiting ourselves. The only person we hurt when we hold ourselves back from God is us. And I, again, once I finally made that step and realized there is no in-between, either I'm in or I'm out, and I said, I'm going to be in, my faith exploded. Everything before that moment was toddly, wobbly baby steps. And after that, I felt like I could finally take off and run and get it, and my faith exploded. I felt at times that I was moving faster than my faith could carry me. And that's why I tell you all the time, most of the times I got into serving and doing things, I was scared to death the whole time because it just felt like God was dragging me along faster than I, my feet could go. That's how fast the difference, that's how much a difference is between half in and all in. Half in, you're, you're never going to make any significant progress. All in makes a huge difference. And so if you are here, and you are a Christian, and you've been distracted by the kids talking or whatever, you're counting lights, key back in for just a moment, and let me just tell you, there is no in-between. There is no in-between. Maybe you've never realized that, and it's not malicious. You just didn't know. Maybe you just didn't realize that Jesus wanted that much of you. Well, let me be the one that tells you here and now. He wants that much of you. He wants to change what you see as right and wrong. He wants to change how your brain works. He wants to change every ounce of your morality. He wants to change how selfless you are, how humble you are. He wants to change what you like and what you don't. He wants absolutely everything so that he can make you into the image of his son, into perfection so that your life can be better than it ever was before, so that he is preparing you day by day for heaven. And if you are straddling the line, you are wasting your time. There is no in between. And so I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to make you think of hellfire and brimstone. We can talk about that another day. I just want you to see the only person you're holding back is yourself. And you will never truly experience the power of his presence until you give up trying to hold on to part of your life and you finally go all in. And so if you want to know when you grow, if you want to know how you're growing, if you want to see beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are progressing in your faith, then you need to be somebody who has made the decision to go all in with Jesus because there is no in between. Let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us see that this middle ground is no ground at all. There are so many places in life where we get this principle. We understand that you can't be half committed to working out, half committed to eating healthy. We understand the, the, how, how bad that is to be half committed in so many areas, but why don't we understand when it comes to our faith? And I think it's because of the fact that you, when you want everything in us, that we're just scared. We're hesitant on what, we what we're going to have to give up and what we're going to have to say no to. But Father, I pray that you would give us all the ability to see that life fully engaged with you is real life. And that everything before that is just a mess. It's, we're playing with mud when you're offering us a vacation at the beach. Father, help us to see the true road you have for us. An all-in, fully committed road. Our faith will be stunted until we make that decision to go all in. I don't want us to waste our time. I don't want us to waste this opportunity to hear you and to be close to you and to grow, but I think that's what a lot of us do. We hold on. We hold back. We ignore the, the topics that get taught 
when we don't want to let you mess with that part of our life. We ignore the Bible verses that challenge us in the areas that, you know, we feel like we've got a handle on it. But you've called us to let you into every area of our life and to reshape us in the image of your Son. So I pray that we would lift our hands to you today, Father, and surrender and say, come on in. Fully, fully change us. Have full access to my life. Have my heart. Have every ounce of my being so that you might make us better. And I pray that we would have our eyes open, Father, to the fact that there is no in-between and that we're just playing a game when we try to stand in the middle. We love you and we want more of you. And so help us to make the choice to go all in. Thank you again for the salvation of your son. May we see the great gift in it and may it shine so bright that we would, it would make standing in the middle, holding back from you silly, that we might actually go all in with the salvation that Jesus has for us. Not just the heaven part, but the here and now part. Thank you for such a full and complete hope in Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.